Hey, good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good one. Hope you had a good weekend and a good week, and hope you're enjoying sports. Let's be honest. We haven't had real sports competitively for months, and now we've got NHL playoffs, and they've been great. The NBA playoffs kicking off yesterday, and if you're a sports fan and you're able to be home and watch this, it's March Madness every day. There are games on all afternoon. And what a stark contrast it's been to the past few months. The fact that we have been able to sit here and watch sports and enjoy sports. And, of course, the backdrop. The I, I'll, I'll steal a, a line from Keith Jackson, the granddaddy of them all. The NFL is, is getting close. And, you know, here in western New York, that means Buffalo Bills football. And while training camp is a different animal this year, we talked about that last week. Yesterday began somewhat of the normalcy. The media was invited out. The players had pads on. And it looked like an NFL training camp practice from the videos I saw. The media is further away than they were in past years. In past years, we were on the sidelines, basically. And, you know, 15 yards at the most away from inbounds great view of everything that would go on now the media is down on on the end zone beyond the end zone but it doesn't matter because it's it's somewhat normal guys are hitting guys are playing and unfortunately guys are getting hurt buffalo had didn't experience any of that yesterday they had a few guys held out because of bumps and bruises and different things that haven't allowed them to get ready to practice. One guy who did practice yesterday, and it's a good story, and and frankly, I think it's a necessary story this year, is Harrison Phillips. Bills drafted him a few years back in the third round as a defensive tackle. And, you know, you look at the Bills under Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, Their drafts, defense, defense, defense. Yes, Josh Allen was drafted in there as well. But you look at the draft picks that they have taken, where they have spent their resources early in the draft. Tredavious White, Tremaine Edmonds, and Ed Oliver. Defense, defense, defense. And that's how this organization, run by these two men who have done a fine job, is going to be made. But with Harrison Phillips, he went this year from being a – piece that's, I don't want to say a luxury, but an important backup. If he comes back from that ACL injury and gives depth to Ed Oliver and Starla Tulele, well, that's great because now you've got that rotation that Sean McDermott loves to use to keep guys fresh. Well, obviously, with Latulule opting out, Harrison Phillips has moved up the depth chart without playing it down. And yesterday was a huge day for the simple fact that he was able to get on the field in pads, test that knee, and come out of it feeling pretty good. I'm sure the Bills will manage his preseason snaps, but for a guy who's an afterthought type of guy, you start talking about the Bills' key pieces this year. I mentioned a few of them. Nobody's going to say Harrison Phillips, but at the same time, I think that Harrison Phillips is availability, one. Two, the fact that he can play to a level that's above where he was a couple years ago. He had some good plays. He showed some good things. And I think this is a kid who long-term can be a valuable depth piece on that defensive line. But in the short term, I think he's got to be more than that. So good day for Harrison Phillips to be out there yesterday. Of course, Every time we talk about the Bills in this year, we're going to talk more about the offense than we have in years past. I just mentioned that the defense under McDermott and Bean is always going to be primary primary mission number one. This year, though, the offense has to support it. They spent this year's number one draft pick bringing in Stephon Diggs from Minnesota. Diggs yesterday was the first look that we got of him on video or from the media that was in person. And what was shown and seen was what was advertised. This guy is a great route runner. He's got great hands. 
He's got an intensity about him. He's got a swagger about him. And I think all of these things are important to bring to the offense. He's also a guy that the other team has to point to, to know where he is. Game plans will be set up to stop Stephon Diggs in this Bills offense, to make sure he's not the guy. That means that John Brown on the other side is going to face less coverage. Cole Beasley in the slot is going to have an easier time. And even Dawson Knox, if he catches the ball, I like the young man, but he had too many drops last year, is going to get much better coverage. All of those things are great. All of those possibilities and matchup possibilities are fantastic. But they mean nothing unless Josh Allen can get them the ball. And again, nobody has more pressure on him, in my opinion, in the AFC this year than Josh Allen. And I'll say that again. Josh Allen has the most pressure to succeed in the AFC because if he does so, then the Bills are a legitimate third team in the AFC. You think about the AFC right now. Starts at the top with the Kansas City Chiefs and defending Super Bowl champions. Does Mahomes have pressure? Yes. He just signed a new big deal, but he's a reigning Super Bowl MVP. He's proven what he can do. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens are the second-best team in the AFC. Does Jackson have pressure? His is different because there are still non-believers out there who think Jackson's such a unique player with a unique ability that he has to prove it over time. Winning the MVP last year in spectacular fashion and having the year he had, that's great. But back it up. Show me it wasn't a fluke. That's Jackson's pressure. But a team around him is built perfectly for his skill set. It's very well coached by John Harbaugh and on the offensive side, Greg Roman. So I don't think the pressure's there. But then the third team probably or could be the Buffalo Bills. Defensively, they're stout. They're ready to compete. They've got competition battles of positions of strength. It's what you want out of a defense. Offensively, I mentioned the skill positions on the outside. The offensive line is generally back intact, save for John Feliciano, who's still dealing with that torn pectoral muscle that he had surgery on. But they signed Brian Winters. I don't think that's a big drop-off if that's how they go. They also could move Cody Ford inside. So the offensive line should be the same. The running back position, I actually think, could be improved. Frank Gore, a great veteran in the leadership that he showed last year helping develop Devin Singletary was, was something you can't measure. But on the field, the measurables, Devin Singletary is going to be better in year two than he was in year one. He understands the game better. And as the season went on last year, we saw the potential for that young man. Then Zach Moss steps in to replace Frank Gore. And I think he can do better season long than Gore did because Gore was effective early, and that's what older players do. When they're fresh, when they're healthy, they're able to perform. And as the season grinds on, it's a law of diminishing returns. So I think all around, this is by far the best talent Josh Allen's played with. It comes back to him and playing. And yesterday, practice one means nothing, but he looked great. How good did he look? Take a look for yourself.
about as good as I've ever seen Josh Allen look, whether it be practice, game, whatever. This kid is growing as a player mentally, and I think that's the biggest thing. But if you watch that video and, and you think about Josh Allen, the ball placement, you're seeing guys catch it and put it away without breaking stride, without having to change their route. That's huge. That's the key to the NFL is when a guy is covered, can you put the ball where it needs to be caught? And I think Allen has improved, obviously, 6% in his completion percentage from year one to year two. I've said it. He's never going to be Drew Brees and complete 70% of his passes. But if he could get to 63 or 64% and take care of the football – he can absolutely be a winning quarterback in this league and continue to do the things he does with his legs. The sky's the limit because he is a physical freak. I, I really enjoyed watching that. And it's funny, Thad Brown, who does as good a job covering the Bills, commenting on the Bills as anybody, studies tape, understands the game. It's good friends, so I'm speaking from a point of bias. But Thad is not a Josh Allen fan. And Thad giving Josh Allen compliments is not something you, you see very often. And yesterday, Thad tweeted that video out and, and said that Allen was incredibly impressive. So the the people who are looking at Josh, I don't want to say through a negative eye, but a very objective eye, maybe I'll say it that way, are also looking at him as a little bit of a different quarterback. The motion looked a little shorter, a little quicker. The release looked a little quicker. And, of course, we're talking about with nobody around, no defense, all of these things are different, and, and you're going to be better with nobody around. And Josh Allen looks good in shorts and, and a T-shirt. Can he look good on Sunday afternoon when you've got an all-out blitz coming and he's got to pick up the hot read and throw a strike late in the game to keep a drive alive? That's where Josh Allen is going to ultimately be judged, and this team is either going to succeed at an extremely high level, and I, I do mean extremely high, winning a playoff game or two, or... Josh Allen's still going to be the question mark going into next year, which is the big year for him because the Bills have that fifth-year option decision to make. Every first-round draft pick gets a four-year contract with a fifth-year option. The decision to pick up that fifth-year option needs to be made prior to the fourth season. So after this year, the Bills decide – Yes, we're going to pay him real quarterback money in year five and keep him around, or we're going to start the clock over on the quarterback position. So this is a huge, huge year for Josh Allen. Day one, it went well. It looked great. It's everything you hoped it would be. It also means nothing. He needs a lot of day ones to look like that. He needs every day to look like that raise his level to bring the team up with him. I was thinking about this as I was writing my notes, the bills haven't had an offense. That's really all that fun to watch since maybe the Bledsoe years. I mean, Fitz had a couple years where it was fun because he would throw it all over the field, but ultimately he would throw an interception that would cost the bills the game. But you think about how long it has been since the Bills have been an offensive football team. They just haven't done it. They've, they've hired many more defensive coaches than they have offensive coaches. That's part of it. McDermott's a defensive guy that's going to be conservative because of that. And, and, and all of these things are, are going to play against the Bills being a good offensive team. But I think Brian Dable has shown his ability to create game plans to allow for mismatches that put guys in position to succeed. 
with Stefan Diggs, theoretically an improved Josh Allen, there's going to be more confidence from McDermott to Dable to allow that to continue. And if it does, I think the offense can take the heat off of the defense. That defense should be there every day. But there's games, let's face it, there's games that won't be. The offense needs to bail it out. There's two sides of the ball. Great teams or really good teams are winning on both sides. The Bills need to be able to do that. They need to be able to win offensively. Another guy who looked really good yesterday and I think could be an important piece to this team is Josh Norman. Norman was a an addition that Brandon Bean made this year that I think a lot of people looked at. And, oh, yeah, another Carolina guy. Here we go. Another Carolina guy played for the Panthers before the Redskins. And Norman's maybe more famous for his beef with Odell Beckham than he is for actually making plays on the field. But I think at this point of his career, going back to a system that fits his skill set much better, they are primarily a zone coverage team. This will, I think, reinvigorate him. But I think it practices, and we saw a little bit of it on, on video if you if you watched some things yesterday. His intensity and him going after guys like Stefan Diggs and John Brown, the way he's going to battle them in camp and practice is going to make everything better. The NFL is a building blocks approach. The more you build in practice, whether it be team camaraderie, whether it be battles for positions, all of these things make you better game day. And this year is going to be even more unique because there is no preseason games. This is like a college football season where we've seen what we just saw. And then on September, I think it's the 13th, we're going to see the Bills come out and play a real football game. It's not the same as it's been in the past. We don't know who's going to look good. And veterans who have played in this league before, who understand the speed of the game, who understand the complexities of the offenses and defenses, they have a big leg up when it comes to winning positions over younger players. Levi Wallace has been solid in his first two years, and I still think he's a valuable piece to the puzzle. But if Josh Norman can win that corner job opposite Tredavious White, Levi Levi Johnson, Taron Johnson, I'm sorry, crossing up Levi Wallace and Taron Johnson's names, Taron Johnson in the slot, that gives Levi Wallace a, a nickel position that he's going to be able to come in in six defensive back sets. Bills are going to be really deep, and you throw together one of the best safety combinations in the league and Jordan Poyer and Micah High, that that secondary is going to be very good. They need to generate pass rush. Jerry Hughes, if it's Trent Murphy, who's possibly not going to be there, the young kid, Epinenza, maybe gets some play there. Ed Oliver from the inside. They need to generate pass rush. But with the speed of Edmonds and Milano at the linebacker position, there's a lot of speed on that defense. The coverage unit should be very, very good. This is going to be a tough team to throw against on passing down. So very, very excited to look at what the Bills are doing. I love these polls that rank positions, rank things, rank players. And it's the national perception of the Buffalo Bills versus the local perception. Guys like me and the media in Western New York who, who watch this team very closely and follow them and give you our opinions of them. Well, the national opinion is, is much different. Yesterday, NFL Network had a top triplets in the NFL ranking, the one through 32 of the triplets. Now, triplets are a pass catcher, a running back, and a quarterback, made famous by the mid-'90s Dallas Cowboys, where the triplets were Troy Aikman, Hall of Famer, Emmitt Smith, Hall of Famer, an all-time leading rusher in the NFL, and Michael Irvin, Hall of Famer. The Bills, they also in that time had a phenomenal set of triplets. Of course, Jim Kelly, Hall of Famer. Thurman Thomas, Hall of Famer. Andre Reid, Hall of Famer. So the triplets thing has always been a cool thing because you're talking about guys on elite teams 
that very well could be Hall of Famers someday. And when you play together like that, they're generally going to have great team success as well. So you look at the top triplets now, and it makes sense who they are. Number one, not, not a surprise, the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, Patrick Mahomes is, if not the best quarterback in the game right now, he's top three at worst. I think he's the number one quarterback, and I'm sure most people do, but there are those who don't think he's quite there yet. He's going to be a huge factor, but you throw to, with him one of the best tight ends in the league in Travis Kelsey, and you've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the rookie running back out of LSU, who I absolutely love and think is going to have a huge rookie season. Then you see why they're number one. Number two is the Saints, Drew Brees on his way to the Hall of Fame. Alvin Kamara, who had a bit of a down year last year, is still extremely dangerous. And Michael Thomas, just an unstoppable force. I think there's going to come a point where we look back at the numbers that Michael Thomas has put up over the last couple of years and think, what the hell was this guy doing? This, nobody's done what he's done over the last few years. The Cowboys have a very good set of triplets. They're third. You've got Dak Prescott can debate whether or not he's a $30 million quarterback, but you can't debate he's an effective quarterback. Ezekiel Elliott's a top five running back, and Mari Cooper's a top ten wide receiver. Atlanta snuck in there at number four. Makes sense. Matt Ryan, he'll be in the Hall of Fame someday. People won't think that, but when you look back at his body of work, it's pretty phenomenal what he's done. Matt Ryan is going to be a Hall of Famer. Todd Gurley is trying to restart his career in Atlanta. And, of course, Julio Jones, he's not the best wide receiver in the game. He's top three. Seattle is number four, and I found this ranking interesting because if you think of Seattle's skill positions right now, all right, they got Russell Wilson. Yep. Who's the running back? Well, Chris Carson had a really nice year last year. He is a between-the-tackles thunderbolt of a back. He's going to pound you, give you 25 carries, and eventually end up with 110 yards. He's not going to be a big yards per carry guy, but he's a battering ram, and I think he's effective for that offense. Tyler Lockett, speed threat on the outside. Very good young wide receiver and getting better. But that ranking is all about the quarterback play of Russell Wilson and how great Russell Wilson truly is. The Bills were ranked 21st in this poll. Now, we just spoke about the Bills offense and the weapons that they have. Devin Singletary is the running back and showed last year that he can be, in my opinion, an effective number one running back in the league. You've got, of course, Stephon Diggs, who's a top 10 wide receiver, hasn't played a snap in Buffalo, but based on what he did in Minnesota, you know what this guy is capable of. But the question remains Josh Allen, and we just spoke of this. Josh Allen, starting quarterbacks ranked in the NFL, was number 23, which brought this ranking down. It's probably a little lower than I would put Allen. I have him closer to the middle of the pack, 16, 17, if I were to rank quarterbacks. But the reality is, if the Bills are going to go where we want them to be, go back to what I just said in the open. It's about Allen changing people's minds. And not because he, he needs to silence the critics, because if he does that, the Bills are going to win and win big time. So keep an eye on that, and, and, and we'll see next year where the Bills are ranked in that triplets fall, because if Josh Allen takes that step forward that he needs to take, if you've got Devin Singletary taking his step forward and Stefan Diggs continuing to do what he's capable of, I think the Bills can be a top 15 triplets group next year if this year is a success. So we'll see. A lot of big injuries yesterday. Don, Gerald McCoy of the Dallas Cowboys, who was signed to – give them some depth at defensive tackle, was likely going to be a starter at defensive tackle. The Cowboys hoping for big things this year. This team is built to win now, 
And a big part of it's going to be that front seven on defense. Everyone's going to talk about Dak and Zeke, but that front seven on defense, if it can be effective and put pressure on the passer, it's going to have to because the secondary still isn't very good. But the front seven can be a huge part of it. And Gerald McCoy was going to be a big part of that run-stopping defense in the middle and then on passing downs, getting some things going that way. The teams are practicing in pads and hitting because tackling. There are no preseason games to work on that. So you've got to get out there and you've got to play real football in practice this year. The Browns yesterday did just that. Nick Chubb, they're fantastic running back. I love me some Nick Chubb. think he is one of the most underrated backs in the league and one of the top five backs in the league. Had a concussion possibly. That's something to keep an eye on because running backs, obviously we know their careers are short-lived. Their time in this league is short-lived. They need to get as much production as they can. Now, not many teams, or no teams actually, have Kareem Hunt as a backup running back. That's an incredible luxury that this Browns offense has. But the reality is here, Nick Chubb's the bell cow. They need him and they need to run the ball to take the heat off of Baker Mayfield, go from a passing offense under Freddie Kitchens to a much more controlled running game. And I think they have a possibility. Again, the Browns are a team that has enough talent. If things go well in training camp, this could be a much different team. So we'll keep an eye on that. Another thing to keep an eye on. One of the best players in the league is DeAndre Hopkins. You look at what he's done in Houston, the quarterbacks who he caught passes from prior to Deshaun Watson, he's been spectacular. You look at his ability, no matter who the quarterback is, to do things, it's, it's almost unmatched. Well, now he's in Arizona, which I still don't understand how the hell that happened. But Kyler Murray and he, I think, can combine – for Drew Brees, Michael Thomas type numbers this year. I think that this is going to be a great fit. He's not been practicing because he's got a tweaked hamstring. And hammies are a problem because they last and linger. If that's the case, it's worth noting it's early enough in camp that the NFL season starts about a month from now. Three weeks, I believe, from Thursday is the first game. Plenty of time for Hopkins to get in there. But there's whispers that it may be an injury concern, but a contract move. And that DeAndre Hopkins is not practicing because he'd like a new contract. So we'll see where that goes. I think that's a situation that bears watching. Giants coach Joe Judge has made some impressions. I'll say it that way. He's made some impressions in the first couple of days of practice. Players and coaches are running laps if they make mistakes. Now, when I played high school football 8,000 years ago, you made a mistake, you ran a lap. You made another mistake, you ran two laps. I mean, it's just the way it was. That was part of high school football and part of buying into the culture and all the things that went along with it. You get to the NFL and you've got guys who have made more money when they sign their name on a piece of paper than most of us will make in our lifetimes. And you're telling them to run a lap. And in their mind, they're telling you where the hell to go. This is something that Rex Ryan tried a few years ago when he was in Buffalo because the Bills were an undisciplined group. So he comes back the next year and we're going to run laps. And I was out at Fisher watching these guys have to run a lap. To say run is being generous. They walk a lap. Maybe you're landing on your toes, not your heels, so it looks more like a run. But it's not accomplishing anything. This is not accomplishing a thing. The only thing it accomplishes is to let the players know that you're a coach who thinks you can control everything. Bill Belichick is the greatest coach in NFL history. And he is the greatest coach in NFL history for a myriad of reasons. His success 
being the top reason. Bill Belichick does something. You do it as a player without questioning because of the resume from the man who tells you to do that. His disciples, whether it be Matt Patricia, whether it be Bill O'Brien, whoever it is, has gone into their situation and taken a lot of the things that Belichick does and brought them with him. And Joe Judge is no different. The problem for most of these guys, and if you look at the Belichick coaching tree, it's not been very successful. It's not been very strong. The reason being is guys are trying to have an impact the way Belichick does, but they don't have credibility. Credibility is earned. Joe Judge doesn't have credibility yet. Guys are questioning him in their minds every day. It's like that with every new coach. I don't care what business you work in. You get a new boss today. You're questioning that guy until he proves himself. If she comes in and tells you to do something, you're like, this lady has no idea what she's doing. Until two weeks later, you went, oh, that lady, that new boss, she's the best I've ever had. It's our mindset. We are a people who we disbelieve first, and then we're proven right. That's how our minds work. The NFL is no different. Joe Judge coming in doing this is trying to set a tone, set an example. It's a very fine line between setting a tone, setting an example, and losing your team before it even begins. So I'll be interested to see how that comes about. The Washington football team, I, I still can't believe that's what we're calling them now. WFT, not WTF. I still think it'd be better if it's WTF, Washington Team Football. And I think that's what I'm calling it. So WTF was noteworthy this week for a couple things. One is that Alex Smith is back to practice. Alex Smith, who is a former number one overall draft pick, had a nice run in San Francisco, had a lot of success in Kansas City was released and or was traded to Washington because of the emergence of Patrick Mahomes, suffered a horrific broken leg two seasons ago. 17 surgeries and 21 months later. Think about that. 17 surgeries this man has been through. He had a flesh-eating bacteria that was was just awful. He almost lost his leg numerous times. He's been cleared to play football yet again. And it's it's amazing that he would want to play football again, but I, you can't help but root for a guy who has been through so very much in his situation. So the Washington football team has brought him back, and I think he will help Dwayne Haskins. I've said Numerous times, I like Haskins more than I think most people do. I think Haskins could throw the football. I don't know if he can do the other things required to be a good NFL quarterback. But I think as this team improves, if the, the, the team is patient, and I think that's an important thing with quarterbacks, you have to be patient when you're developing them. I think Haskins can be a quarterback one in this league. Can be. He's not yet. He will start opening day, but he's got to play his way into the quarterback one role. But what WTF really did this week that was noteworthy, they hired a new president, a team president, young man, and I say young because I mean young, 38 years old, and that is young, for to be a, to be a team president in the NFL. Jason Wright, young man, played Seven seasons with four teams in the league. He was on with Michael Strahan yesterday. And I want you to listen to this soundbite because he says something that I think is extremely important.
brand new president of the Washington football team, Jason Wright, who's the first ever black team president in NFL history. And Jason, we want to start out by saying congratulations and, and thank you for joining us this morning. Not only are you the youngest team president currently in the league, as I said before, you are the first ever black team president. So what does this moment, what does it mean for you? What does it mean for the team? And what does it mean for the NFL? Hey, thanks, Michael. It's good to be on with you, my friend. Um, I think first and foremost, it's obviously very personal for me, right? Much like you, I'm a football player first. Been playing since I was seven years old, went to Northwestern on a football scholarship, played seven years in the league, you know, probably got fired a few more times than you, my friend, but played a decent, <laughs> decent amount of time in the league, and then became a businessman and cut my teeth in some of the best business schools have been helping some of the most complex and important organizations around the world transform over the last few years. So for me, it's personal an opportunity to bring together my two worlds in a really unique way at a really unique time. And, and the fact that I happen to be black and the most qualified person for this is a, is a boost. What I like about what Jason Wright said there, and if you get a chance, listen to more of what this, what this man says. Incredibly sharp guy. But he said, yes, he's the first black president of an NFL team, and that's a huge step forward. But he's also the most qualified candidate. And I, I couldn't applaud him more for pointing that out, because there are going to be people who are going to say, well, of course, you know, look at what they're going through with all the crap, with the name change and all the, the culture and Dan Snyder and this and that. Okay, they hired a minority to run their football operations, the business side, but he's the best qualified candidate. And that, to me, more important than anything else, don't lose sight of that. And for him to get there, I think, will open doors for other people as well. There's always got to be a first of everything, and it's beyond bad that the first-team president that's an African-American, was hired in 2020. It's just mind-boggling to me that we're celebrating, we're still celebrating firsts in 2020. But it is the first. But he's also the most qualified. And I think that's a great thing to remind people of why he got hired. I, I look forward to seeing what Jason Wright brings, not only to the Redskins, but to the NFL as well. That's an organization that needs strong leadership. They need somebody to stand up to Dan Snyder. And they need somebody to be a, a solidifying force in that organization. He'll handle the business side. Ron Rivera is going to handle the football side. I'm still not sure Ron Rivera is going to be the general manager that the team needs. I'd love to see them hire somebody to maybe be a general manager, and who knows, maybe Jason Wright will get that done. But I think the Redskins are at least making steps forward this offseason after what has been a terrible offseason for that organization. One final NFL note. The Baltimore Ravens, I mentioned their skill position players, fit perfectly around Lamar Jackson and how good Lamar Jackson was last year and hopefully will be again this year. They're giving Des Bryant a tryout reportedly later this week. Des has been trying to get back in the league for a long time. If you remember, he signed a couple of years ago with the Saints and looked like he was going to continue his career there, but it didn't work out. Injury was out for the year, rehabbed. Des has kept himself in shape. He could be a potential big-body wide receiver that could help on short yardage passing situations, goal line passing situations, giving Lamar Jackson another target going forward. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. Last week, if you listened to the podcast, I told you about Instacart. And if you didn't catch last week, first off, come on, man. What's up with that? Secondly, you missed an opportunity, but because we have friends at Instacart, I'm going to help you out so you don't miss that opportunity twice in a week. They can deliver them in as fast as an hour. And if you use 
the link in the show notes that you, all you got to do is press the link. You can get your first delivery over $35 for free. Instacart is the way it's done now. Look, why are you going to go to the store? You got to go to Wegmans. You got to find everything. You spend your time. Let Instacart do that for you. Again, click the link in the show notes. You can use Wegmans, Tops. There's a lot of stores available. Y'all know about it. Y'all heard about it. Just click the link and get your first delivery for free and see how great Instacart is. Take advantage of what I'm trying to give you. Trying to be nice. You're listening to me. I'm trying to give something back. So make sure you check that out. Click the link in the show notes. Get your first delivery over $35 for free. As fast as one hour. You get groceries on your porch. It's a great way to do it. Use Instacart. So that's the football side of things. Let's switch to baseball. Aaron Judge back on the disabled list or the injured list, as they're now calling it. Judge got off to a great start. He's likely to come off in the next few days. But this guy just can't seem to stay healthy. He and Giancarlo Stanton are so similar. Of 395 games over the last couple of years, Stanton has only played in 190. Judge has played in 231. These two guys are so similar in so many ways. Both very big men, both freakishly strong, athletic. They hit absolute bombs. They're just similar guys. Judge is a better athlete, but maybe more brittle in some ways than Stanton. It's hard to remember this, but Stanton had a lot of a lot of years with the Marlins where he played 155-plus games. Judge has had one or two, only one year over that. So it'll be interesting to see how these guys come back and when they come back and how they are when they get back. Maybe more important than those two going on the I.L. is D.J. LeMahieu. Hurt his thumb swinging. One of those injuries that I always worry about, the rib cage injury and the, the hand injury when you're swinging seem to take so much longer. LeMayhew was hitting 411 in the 73 at-bats. Solidified second base, just a quiet, intense leader for this team, a winning baseball player. And as I point out every week, the Mets, Yankees, you want to know the difference between the Mets and the Yankees? It's simple. The Yankees signed D.J. LeMayhew. The Mets signed Jed Lowry. That's it. That's the difference in these two organizations. It's like Cain and Abel. Just amazing. You have the good one and the bad one, the Mets and Yankees. But the one opportunity for injuries that comes about is next man up. And a guy I've talked a lot about is Clint Frazier. I continue to say the Yankees have to decide whether or not to play this guy every day and move on from Brett Gardner, who's – struggling at this point he's at the end of his career anyway he's been a great Yankee and had a nice run with the team but Brett Gardner isn't Clint Frazier at this point listen to the sound in this video when the ball meets the the bat between the simulated game and at the alternative side alternative side I don't even like to say that thing High fly ball, (laughs) deep left center, Duvall back, he's on the track, he's at the wall, see ya! Frazier goes downtown, and it's a 2-2 game. Uh, What a way to start right when you come from that alternative side. Little red thunder for you, Cody. Some guys, the ball just travels different off their bat. They've got the bat speed that allows the ball to carry much greater than others. Clint Frazier has that. He's got an innate ability to swing the bat very hard. And when he makes contact, the ball goes two home runs so far in his 18 at bats, eight hits. Again, Brian Cashman's done a great job making secondary moves. Guys like DJ LeMahieu. I think what he's got to figure out now is 
does Clint Frazier play every day? Or do you use Clint Frazier to go get a piece to win a championship this year? And that piece would probably be a starting pitcher. And I think Frazier is a guy that they could deal. I wouldn't personally. But the thing with prospects is eventually they stop being a prospect and they start either being a player that achieves or a player that never did achieve. Look at Miguel Andujar, where he was a couple years ago, basically untradeable, where he is now basically untradeable for a different reason. So you've got to strike while the iron's hot with some guys. And I think Clint Frazier, this is the year. Either he mans a position and becomes a full-time player for the Yankees, or he goes away. And they bring back something to help them win this championship. I'll be interested to see what Brian Cashman does. If you're a Yankees fan, you're having a great time watching this team every year or every game. They've beaten the Red Sox every game they played. There's got to be some joy there. If you're a Red Sox fan, oh, hey, the last decade was great. You know, the Red Sox now six wins in their 23 games. They're terrible. They lost sale before the season started. They lose Eduardo Rodriguez basically before the season began to a COVID-related heart condition. So the, the pitching isn't there. The young hitters aren't really ready yet. And meanwhile, Mookie Betts has had eight home runs out in L.A. and signed a huge contract extension. For a team that had a great decade, last decade, this next decade is not off to a good start. The fact that Mookie Betts signed that contract extension, that stung for Red Sox fans because they always felt that they could sign anybody. And when that didn't happen, it just isn't isn't something the Red Sox and their fan base is used to. Not sure when this team will be back to its usual dominant self, but I think it's going to be a longer rebuild than anyone would have ever anticipated. The Pittsburgh Pirates are just awful. Look, they play in the best stadium in Major League Baseball. Not that you could go watch games anyway. Let's face it, it doesn't matter. But they've won four of 18 games. Eric Gonzalez is hitting 341. He's been a bit of a role player. Other than that, the next highest average of their regulars is Kevin Newman at 246. They're terrible. And I don't think they win 20 games out of their 60-game season. That's brutal. The Giants are bad. Their run differential is second worst in the league. Eight wins out of 24 games. Seattle, the worst run differential in the league. They've got their 10 games under 500 already. The L.A. Angels, this is one that is always going to bother me. Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. I don't think many people would argue that. Some people might say Mookie Betts. Some people might say Bellinger. There might be a name or two, but let's face it. Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. He's having another great year. Hit his 10th home run last night in almost 300. Yet the Angels are 8-15. and 15. This team sucks, and they've got the best player in baseball. Mike Trout might be the guy who has the Hall of Fame career and one of the greatest players ever to play the game. He might never play in the postseason. This year, everybody plays in the postseason, except the Mets and Pirates. But Trout won't. It's crazy. This is a bad, bad organization. I mentioned the Mets. (laughs) Well, of course, As the mess turns this week, it's come out that the final bids to buy the Mets are due by the end of the month, which now we're midway past the midway point of August. A couple weeks from now, we're going to find out who the team, who the group is, who's going to buy the Mets from the hated Wilpon family. Wilpons are awful owners of a baseball team. Awful, terrible, horrendous. There's not another word I can use for it. As the mess turns this week, looks at the Wilpons, because they're going to keep 5%. 
if you are somebody who has cancer and you go in for surgery, the doctor's going to try to remove all of the cancer, all of it. The Wilpons are the cancer in the Mets organization. You don't leave 5% to linger and grow. Yet that's what's going to happen. There are basically two bidders left who are willing to pay for this organization in spite of its bad financials and in spite of the fact that 5% of the cancer is going to remain after this sale. These two groups of bidders are willing to pay over the $2 billion asking price for the team. There's Steve Cohen, lifelong Mets man, hedge fund billionaire who the television show Billions is based on. The character Bobby Axelrod, and if you watch the show, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you should. It's great. Bobby Axelrod's character is based on Steve Cohen, somewhat of a controversial yet colorful person. If he has the highest bid, there are those who think Major League Baseball won't approve him because of his checkered past. So that's one group. The other group is what we're calling J-Rod. Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez, and they're funded by a couple billionaires behind them as well. They certainly have the money. They may not bid more than Steve Cohen, but for some reason, Major League Baseball is more confident and more comfortable having a steroid cheater come into ownership, even if he's a minority owner at this point, than they are a guy who made Billions of dollars on Wall Street. I'm not as comfortable as Major League Baseball is. But the real factor here comes back to that 5%, the cancer, the Wilpons. Because Jeff Wilpon, who's the acting head of the organization, reportedly hates Steve Cohen. And will take hundreds of millions of dollars less from A-Rod and J-Lo than he would from Steve Cohen just because he hates him that much. Man, I, I'm, I'm a guy who holds grudges, and I know you're not supposed to do that. But when it comes to hundreds of millions of dollars, that grudge is going out the window. I kind of respect Jeff Wilpon if he does that. If your grudge is that strong that you sacrifice a couple hundred million dollars, tip my hat. Well done, sir. Well played. The Indians had a situation last week with two pitchers, Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger. And Plesak's a young guy who's trying to make his way, and Clevenger is an established pitcher who's, when healthy, been very good. Well, they broke curfew, went out, and endangered the rest of the team from getting COVID. And reportedly, during a team meeting, Veteran players, especially pitchers, were very upset with these two and forced the Indians to act. The Indians did. They designated them for assignment and sent them out to the minor league group. I want you to listen to Adam Pluko, who's a relief pitcher for the Indians, what he said about this situation. How, how did Mike and Zach get back your trust? I think that's a question for Mike and Zach. Um, I, I mean, they they hurt us bad. Uh, they lied to us. They um, sat here in, in front of you guys and, and publicly said things that they didn't follow through on. And um, it's it's going to be up to them. Uh, it, it really is. And, um, you know, I'll let them sit here and tell you how they're going to earn their trust back. Um, I don't need to put words in their mouths. Um, you know, the term that I continue to hear and excuse my language is grown ass man, right? So those grown ass men can sit here and tell you guys what happened and tell you guys um, what they're going to do to fix it. And I don't, I don't need to do that for them. Grown ass men making decisions that endanger the welfare of the team. Oliver Perez, a longtime veteran lefty, threatened to leave the team if the team didn't do something. I'm not a big fan of snitching, and I'm not a big fan of you know me telling you how to live your life. But when you're in that situation, it's all for one, one for all. And if one guy breaks it, 
potentially it derails the whole thing. And that one guy just put himself above the team. This can't happen. And with the NFL season looming, I think it's important for that mentality to be part of what's going to go on at the next level is with the NFL as well. Guys are going to have to buy in. And if they don't buy in, they need to get out because it is a bad, bad situation for the league, for the teams, and for the health of the players themselves if that happens. Of course, college football has already canceled their season for the most part. There will be no fall championships. Mark Emmert, the head of the NCAA, announced that last week. It's good that he announced something because it's been crazy how silent the NCAA has been through this. But the SEC announced their schedule yesterday. We know opening week, Georgia's going to be at Arkansas. Alabama's going to be at Mizzou. You got Florida at Ole Miss and then Mississippi State at LSU. Of course, four of those teams are top 10 teams this year. Playing for no championship, I don't think matters. Playing college football, especially in the South, especially where economics are a huge part of this, whether it be the colleges themselves, towns around them, I think is. Colleges are very contradictory in the way they're approaching this. You're bringing students on campus. Students aren't going to make smart decisions when it comes to COVID. We know this. Yet you're not allowing players to play football where they're going to be monitored, tested, and very much more closely watched than a general student. The reason neither should probably happen is one word, liability. The reason one is happening and the other isn't is something that I don't understand. I I will throw the word hypocrisy in there. But that's college sports with the NCAA doing what it's doing. The Big Ten was the first conference to announce they weren't, I should say, the first Power Five conference to announce they weren't doing. Kevin Warren is the commissioner of the Big Ten. It's under fire right now because apparently there was no vote taken by the presidents of the colleges that make up the Big Ten. A few of them, Ohio State, Michigan, and Nebraska, are not happy with the way things went down. They wanted to play football, and they should. Those three schools are three of the biggest money makers when it comes to football in, in the country. So we'll see where things go from here. I think college football will be played to some level, to some degree this fall, but in no way will it be anything like what we've known in the past. But then again, what is? The other thing to keep an eye on is college basketball. Now, there's a suspected second wave of the virus that could come around that could impact sports later in the fall, early winter. Obviously, that's when college basketball starts. They've set a timeline of mid-September to make decisions. They've set a timeline of mid-September to decide whether or not they're going to do it. Some have proposed that they would create a bubble for the top 50 teams to play a season and then have a tournament. And if you think about it, it's possible because online classes are going to be the norm in most colleges anyway. So it is a possibility that something along those lines gets approved and goes forward. It'll be interesting to see how they handle that. The NBA playoffs yesterday got going in earnest, and the NBA playoffs, are, are it's very good basketball. If you watch it yesterday, if you watched it, you saw Donovan Mitchell score 57. And I thought it was crazy to, to look this up. Donovan Mitchell's 57 points is the third most points in a playoff game in the history of the NBA. MJ's 63, which I remember vividly against the Celtics in Boston, is number one. Elgin Baylor had 61, and then Donovan Mitchell had 57. But in looking that up to see who else scored that many points, I came across something that I was blown away by. There have been 39 now, 39 games of 50 points or more in the NBA playoffs in the history of the league. 39. Michael Jordan had eight of them. He had 
20, like almost 25% of the 50-point games. He had 63, 56, had 55 three times, 54 twice at 50. The players that scored 50 points, there's only one player who's eligible who scored 50 points in a playoff game who's not in the Hall of Fame, Eric Sleepy Floyd. And if he didn't go to Georgetown, I would tell you what a good regular season player and playoff player Sleepy Floyd was in his day. But since he went to Georgetown, yeah, screw him. I don't really care. Yesterday, there was a incident or a situation in the NBA. And it's one of those things that drives me crazy about fandom and about the media. Kristaps Porzingis got ejected. That's a word that's being used. Ejected from the playoff game in which the Mavs had a big lead yesterday and then lost that big lead to the Clippers, and the Clippers ended up winning the game late. Luka Doncic, who's just spectacular, again, had the most points ever for a player in his first playoff game, 42. It was just great. That, that kid, if he isn't a top-five player right now in the NBA, he's going to be by next year. He is phenomenal. But Porzingis got ejected is the storyline. And fans and media are freaking out. What happened was Porzingis made a clean block, got called for a foul this early in the game. Does an air punch, which anyone who's played or coached or refereed the game knows that's an automatic technical foul. And in the post game, Rick Carlisle, the Mavs coach, said as much. Porzengis said as much. Was upset with the call, overreacted, deserved one because that's going to happen every time. Yep. Simple. Later in the game, Doncic got into it a little bit, and Porzingis came in and started pushing Marcus Morris and was basically a third man in in a little confrontation. It's automatic. It's automatic technical foul. Two technical fouls, you're out. That's what happened. The media, the fans, these referees ejecting this guy. Christophs Porzingis put it on himself after the game. He did a great job, stood up said, I got to be smarter than that. I can't let that happen. He's not that type of player. It's first ever ejection in his career. He's probably never going to get ejected from another game. He's just not that guy. He overreacted. He reacted badly. But you know who didn't react badly in this situation? The referees. Guy makes a bad call. You, you, you have a reaction that's over the top. That's a technical foul. It's not debatable. We could talk about the bad call he made. Yeah, it happens. But if you watch the replays and you see what happens when the scrum, where the second technical came, the referees go over and put headsets on similar to what I'm wearing. They're watching the replay, and they're talking to people from the league offices. The referees on the floor, they're being guided by their boss. When your boss tells you to do something, you got to do it. This is not about Kristaps Porzingis getting ejected because of a bad call. There was one bad call out of the three. The one bad call precipitated the first technical. The technical was a good call. The play that precipitated that was a bad call. The second technical was an easy call. It was a good call. Don't put this on the referees. Put this on Christoph Porzingis, just like he did, just like Rick Carlisle did. Michael Wilbon, who is a guy I lose more respect for every time I think I listen to him speak, went out of his way to say how terrible a decision it was by the referees. Wilbon, who works for ESPN, who is in bed with the NBA, essentially works for the NBA. You're not doing your league any favors by doing that. The interesting thing was that Mark Cuban, who's always critical of the officiating in the league, was really quiet after the game. It was almost like somebody asked him about freeing Hong Kong or something. His coach and his player admitted that the player 
did stuff that the referees had no choice but to act the way they did. I'm sure Mark Cuban doesn't agree with that. But again, if he says what he thinks, he contradicts his player, contradicts his coach. He just took the route that if you ask him about freeing Hong Kong, same thing. So interesting day one in the NBA. And then they, the NHL playoffs going on. The one series that really surprised me so far, and I'm glad because I think this team is a bit of a vagabond team and their fan base is very loyal, and I hope they're rewarded by a good playoff run this year. The Islanders looking to knock out the Caps. Two teams play tonight. 3-1 lead for the Islanders. Wouldn't have thought that going in. It's been some great hockey Tuka Rask has opted out for the Bruins. I think that's a huge part of the story going forward. This is a guy who led them to the the finals last year. And I think Rask is a big reason why they got there. So keep an eye on the Boston goalie situation. Halak is solid enough, and he's played well in the playoffs already in the game he played. So I think they're good enough with Halak to continue winning. But, man, I'll tell you what, as, as much as... Boston fans like their players. I'm sure that if Tuka Rask opts out and this team loses, especially in the first round to Carolina, not going to go good. Not going to go good. Hey, before we get out of here, I want to remind you about Instacart. Click the link in the show notes, and we got a free, we got a good deal for you. Your first order over $35 free. Yeah, that's right. Think about that. Just right there. Try it once for free. You go online, pick out what you need, and someone shows up and leaves groceries on your porch. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have time for that crap anyway. Instacart does the work for you. And if you click the show notes, you get it free for the first time over $35. So make sure you do that. Check it out. It'll be saving time. And believe me, time is money. So you're saving money as well. Have a great week until we talk again. Thanks for listening. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. <laughs>